This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. By the time this podcast is out, this book will be out. What if this book just doesn't do well and you get like the worst reviews and you know, you work so hard on it. You know, the more you work on something, the more- Here's the thing. It's funny. I've come to peace with it because I've thought about this. Listen, I would love to hit number one New York Times bestseller, but I'm also like, if I didn't get on the list at all, how would I feel? My ego would be hurt and I'd be sad and I'd be frustrated. But I believe like I've become so at peace with it already either way, whatever happens, it's more important to me to get the message out than to get the result. I'm going to put my whole life into one book mm-hmm. where if like as an athlete, my whole life was around being a college player, making pros. And if I didn't make it, then my life was over. This isn't my whole life, one project. And I think if it doesn't hit the list or it doesn't do this, like what's the lesson? I think what's the lesson is a very important mantra. So first off, I'll just introduce you. Lewis House. I think this is like your third time on my podcast. I think it might be. Second or third. You've been on mine three times or four times? Something like that. So we've been on each other's podcasts. The first time I think you came on just for the hell of it. <laughs> Second time was for your massive New York Times bestseller, The School of Greatness. Yep. But I feel you're you're coming into your own now with this second book. I really love this book for a lot of reasons. It's called The Mask of Masculinity. You're in it. Uh, I'm in it. Thank you for mentioning that. I wasn't going to actually mention that <laughs> because I didn't want to seem like I'm bragging. I'm in awe. <laughs> I'm in Lewis Howe's book on masculinity. This is going to certainly up the way people think of me. Exactly. You know, before we get into the book, I am like the least, I like. I feel like I don't speak guy. Meaning, and you, you address this in the book a little bit, but I'll just tell you my direct experience. I go into a bar I even now own a bar Mm -hmm. and everyone's just, there's TVs on with sports. I don't speak sports. And then they talk about fishing. I don't know anything about fishing. I don't know anything about cars or bikes or- They talk about girls. They talk about girls. They talk about girls in a way that I don't. And we can keep, we can get into that later on because that's one of your masks. Mm -hmm. And I just feel uh, very disconnected from- the concept of being like a regular guy, although of course, you know, in every other way, I'm a regular guy. But uh, I don't know. We could talk about that in, yeah. in, in the context. But, but basically, I'll just kind of outline what what this book is about because it's really brilliant. And then and then I want to talk about all the different masks of masculinity. Cool. But you, the basic idea is that men and women have. Men and women are different. Women have their own issues. You're dealing with specifically men here. Yes. And but it's good, it's useful for both men and women to read this, men to understand it to some extent um about these masks that we all put mm-hmm. on to to give this appearance of more masculinity. Yes. And and because we have this view that this is in our culture, this is what a man should be. Mm-hmm. This is how a man meets women if they're a certain way, or this is how a man creates wealth or this bonds with people. This is how they're defined as masculine. This is how they're defined as as men. Right. You know, these false senses of, of masculinity, these masks. And and, yeah. and it's good for women to read it as well because you want to know, you want to be able to identify, okay, what masks do I have to go through if I really want to communicate yeah. with the man I love or, or the my man father, in my life? My father, my son, my brother, right. yeah. What's what's in the way of them connecting with me or opening up or being available? And and we'll go over the masks one at a time or at least most of them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give away the whole book. Sure. But um there's two things. One's positive. One's maybe a, a mild criticism. But I'm I'm uh, curious about your answer. Why do you think it's important that men from the beginning wear a mask? What are men mm. trying to do? What's the goal? Fit in and protect themselves. Fit in with other men. Fit in with society. Fit in and be accepted. For example, when you're uh, you know when your mom says you know when you go to school today and you're in second grade or fourth grade or whatever and. Say so really be kind to other kids. Be open. Be loving. Be helpful. Be generous. You know, be a good son and do that. Really open up. And then the kid's like, okay, I'll go try that. And he sees a couple of bullies picking on a kid. He says, hey, don't talk to that guy like that. Don't talk to him or her like that. That's not nice. And then the bullies turn to you and shove you in a locker. Uh, you're gonna say, huh? Maybe it doesn't feel good to be open or to be kind or be generous or compassionate. Instead, I want to be accepted. I don't want to feel this pain. So maybe I'll start to hang out with them and bully other kids as well. This is one example. You know, we we do things to fit in. So another example might be. And, and by the way, in that yeah. example, you specifically 
address it. You talk about your own personal yep. experience where various things happened to you as a child and to take out your own pain, mm -hmm. sometimes you could, sometimes you can't take it out on the adults or, or, or right. past kids who damaged you. So you find yourself as a bully and so you take it on other kids. You mm -hmm. you you admit your own periods where you were a bully. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. and really hurt somebody. You take it out on other people and you could also take it out on yourself. You know, it could be constantly causing pain inside. How do you think you took it out on yourself? And um, we can get you to know, the constantly things. not feeling worthy or good enough. So it was just like beating myself up if I didn't succeed or win or achieve something or if I stumbled my words, then constantly beating myself up afterwards. But 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 like just to put it in perspective. I think nobody ever achieves like, you know, we're all trying to achieve more, but mm -hmm. there's no real kind of pinnacle where, okay, now I did it. Because right. you, you, if you say like your own feelings of, you know, not achieving or something, you, you're, you know, an all-star athlete in lots right. of ways, an Olympian athlete. Um, maybe, maybe just go over your athletic credentials for a second. Yeah, I mean, I was all state in high school, all American, couple sports in college. You know, a couple sports, not yeah, just played, like played professional football, arena football for a little bit, and I play with the USA handball team now. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you an example of potentially why I've gone down that path. When I was in fourth grade, uh, the the class we were in. As opposed to going out to recess one day and kind of all doing our own thing, the teacher said, "Okay, class, we're going to go out together and do a class dodgeball game. So we're going to split the team, the class up in two teams, and compete." And the 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 uh, teacher picked two boys, kind of like the popular kids in the class, to be the captains. So they were picking one kid at a time. Now I'm thinking to myself, I'm one of the tallest kids. I'm pretty athletic. I'm probably going to be picked one of the first first boys. They go through and pick one by one all the boys, and it comes down to me and one other kid, one other boy that was probably like the nerdy looking kid, right? And I was like, there's no way. That, that was me. Hey, right. It was like time. me and you, right? <laughs> and I was like, there's no way that I'm not going to get picked before this kid. Like he couldn't even walk, type of thing. Yeah. It was like that. He was that unathletic. And they end up picking that boy. And so now I'm the last boy standing. And so I'm thinking to myself, man, this really sucks, like to be picked as the last boy. But something happened after that. I wasn't picked. They picked a girl next, and then they picked another girl, and they picked all the girls in the class until I was the last kid standing. And I didn't even get picked on a team. I was just by default the last person's team, so I just walked over there. Okay, so that's the experience that I'm very familiar with from being a kid. <laughs> but I don't something. So I don't quite believe it. Like why were you were if the athletic kids actually were always picked first? It was just mm -hmm. why weren't you picked? So this is yeah. I guess I was. You know, I didn't fit in. I wasn't accepted. I was in like, so like special news classes. Contest, I think it was more bit. like popularity contest. I mean, I'll tell you what, I dominated in that game. I took like all this anger out and just like slammed the balls in kids' faces and just like dominated. And I told myself in that moment, I'm never to get picked last again. I'm going to train myself to be the best athlete I can be, to always be picked first, to always be valuable, to always be seen and wanted and desired. And so I put on that mask, the athlete mask, and it worked. I trained my butt off every single day, all through college, all through pros, uh, to be great as an athlete. Because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to fit in. And so when you've had your experience, because we've spoken mm -hmm. about this before, but yeah. when you had your experience much later where you had a, a football injury yep. or, or uh -huh. an injury that prevented you from taking the next step athletically, yep. did you question your manhood? Because now you had just been 10 years. I, uh, I question everything about my life. My whole identity was now shaken because I wore this mask of this athlete mask. And now that I could no longer be that, that's where I had my self-worth wrapped around. Around. Define in this case mass because in some sense it's not bad to be an athlete. Like you, you get in shape, you, no. you achieve goals, you you, Here's you the thing. feels good. With any mask, it gets results. So for me, it got me the results I wanted. I achieved the highest levels athletically. Uh, you know, I played college football, I played professional football. So it worked, but I wore the mask in every other part of my life. I had to win at all costs in my relationships, in my business, in my family experiences. I had to always win and what be is, right. What does that mean, winning in relationships? So win an argument, win like and be right. Like I had to be right. I had to know the answers. It means, means someone else had to be wrong or they had to lose. Mm -hmm. So I had to win at everything, whether it was a little competition or a little game or walking somewhere. I just had to be in front of someone, like whatever it may be. You know, driving, I had to drive faster than everyone else. I had to win and be right. I had to be in first place all the time so that I felt like I was worthy enough to fit in in society in general and so that people would accept me. 
and it worked. I won a lot and I achieved great results and I got to what I wanted to be athletically and my goals. But I always felt so unfulfilled inside when I would win because I was a poor winner and I was a really bad loser. So when I would lose in games or anything, it was like an attack on my manhood and my identity. And I was like, well, if I'm not winning, then I'm not going to be accepted. I'm not going to fit in. And if I'm not right, then people think I'm stupid and they'll think I'm not masculine or man enough. Mm. And so for me, it was this inner unfulfillment. Like I would win, I would achieve my big athletic goals and then I'd be angry 10 minutes later. And I'm like, why am I so angry? Why am I not fulfilled? Why am I not satisfied? Or at least even able to celebrate for a day the achievement that I just did, all American, all state. Yeah, why do I think you were able to celebrate for a day? I think because I was so focused on proving people wrong as opposed to lifting other people up and and doing it from a place of love and joy and inspiration. I was just like, I'm doing this to show these kids wrong or to prove to my peers wrong or family or whoever doubted me. And that's the most powerful fuel that I've found, proving people wrong, kind of having that chip in your shoulder. But it never let me feel satisfied inside. So I always needed more. I needed to achieve more and more and more. And I was so lonely and just unstable from that place of creating results from proving people wrong. So with a lot of these masks, and I'll, I'll read through some of them. Um, there's the athlete mask that you just mentioned. There's the stoic mask, which I think um, just uh, the way I picture it is uh, the guy who could break his leg, but nobody knows <laughs> no because emotion, he's no being pain. very yeah. stoic about yes. it. Or, or maybe something bad happens to him, like a death in the family, yeah. and he's the one who- Has it know, all together. He's, yeah, right. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's still a mess. He's still feeling uh -huh. the pain, but he, he holds it all in. There's um, uh, the material mask, which Here, is very common. Here's um, a great example about the material mask. And, and again, how these are super effective to wear them and actually how they hurt us at the same time. So material mask, you know, I was, when I was done playing football, I was on my sister's couch for a year and a half and I had no money. I never learned how to make money. I was a truck driver. I was like a bouncer, but I wasn't an entrepreneur that knew how to earn money on my own. I um, decided, I was like, okay, I'm sick and tired of being broke. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get rich and to make millions. I started hanging out with millionaires, learning from them, studying, and it's, it worked. You know, a couple of years later, I started making millions, right? And I worked my ass off for this. I was so driven to make money. I was so driven to make money to prove to people that I was smart, worthy, that I was desirable. And it worked. But at the same time, I gained 50 pounds and people started calling me Fluis for Fat Lewis. I, did I know you then? <laughs> you might, maybe, maybe right before this. It was like back in 2010, 2011. Okay. That, you know, I was super overweight. I was working till 3 a.m. every night because I was like so scared to lose money. And I was like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going because I didn't want it to go down. And I didn't really have good relationships with people. It was just like so fixated on the material things, on increasing my bank account, my net worth, because that was my self-worth. And it worked. You know, I got results. But I also suffered emotionally. I suffered with my health. I suffered with relationships. So I think it's just being aware of like, okay, these masks aren't necessarily bad, but we get to be aware of, are we living with them 24-7? And are we putting them on to deflect other things that are meaningful in our, in our lives? Relationships, our health, our well-being, and our self-worth. And if we're tying our self-worth around the amount of women we sleep with, how much money we have, how great of an athlete we are, all these things, how much we know, how funny we are in the Joker mask, if we're tying our self-worth around this identity, then if the identity somehow falters or someone atta attacks that identity, then we feel like it's an attack on us personally. So, so it's, it strikes me that there's an evolutionary basis for this in that we all are primates and mm -hmm. in pr primates are formed in tribes and every tribe of monkeys or chimpanzees, for instance, has an alpha male all the way down to an omega male and they're carefully ranked. Like everybody knows where they are, who's above them and who's below them. And so there's there's w everything that you're talking about here, like let's say the material mm -hmm. mask, well, you know exactly where you are. You have dollars in the bank. Or the athlete mask, you know exactly, am I, you know, 
the second best player on the team or the right, first best right. player on the team or the first best player in the league. Right. Um, the 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 sexual mass you talk about. How many women have you slept with? Uh, you know, there, there's metrics. How funny for each are of these you? Things. Yeah, 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 yeah. With with the Joker mask, it could be very painful if you tell a Joker. Nobody laughs if that's the metric you're judging yourself then with. You put your self worth around those results, right? And yeah. how do you? It seems like that's such a natural thing, and we are just like this bag of chemicals, and and these chemicals have been with us for two and a half million years. What you're sort of suggesting in this book is that it's healthier to somehow break free from those chemicals, and that's very difficult to do. It's almost impossible. It seems impossible if you're not even aware of it. For 25 years, I wasn't even aware. I just said, well, this is who I am, and I'm not changing. Like, why change? It's working. I'm getting results. I was a great athlete. I'm making money. I'm getting girls. Like, it works for me, so why change? But when I'm in the fetal position watching Weeds for 88 episodes for two weeks because... I can't emotionally break free from a relationship I'm in that's so toxic and I don't know how to get out of it and I don't know how to communicate and express myself in healthy ways, then something's missing. When I'm so angry and resentful that I am constantly looking for a fight to get my emotions out and I end up beating the crap out of someone on a basketball court in a no-stakes basketball game just because he stepped to me, it's not worth it. You know, it's, it's showing me that, okay, something's missing. If I have to resort with uh, anger and aggression and this nasty energy, and supposed to just, you know, when I think of the ultimate alpha gorilla, the silverback, I think of the one that doesn't have to beat his chest and scream whenever there's chaos happening. I think of the alpha, the ultimate alpha, as the silverback that is so graceful and calm in his energy. And when he walks through the jungle, if there's chaos happening, he just moves his hands to the side and people just. Stop. He doesn't have to scream. He doesn't have to beat his chest. He's just so confident with who he is, his strengths, his weaknesses, and he's able to communicate in a different way as opposed to through anger and aggression and puffing up his chest. And I think that's what we get to look at within ourselves is what are the things we do that are kind of on autopilot when we react to certain situations as opposed to how can we use our- What, what, do, you, our, what do you mean by that? You know, like when we're driving in a car, or, and someone cuts us off and we automatically flip them off. You know, I used to want to like get out of the car and actually want to fight someone when, they, when I felt like they were cutting me off because I felt like it was an attack against me personally. When who knows what that person's going through or why this happened or what they missed or they didn't see me or whatever it is. But why did I have to react every single time and want to speed up and like swear at the guy or yell at the window? Like why? Who cares? And how is that supporting me with my vision? When I put energy on something reactive that's happening in the world that I can't control and I fixate on it and maybe for days or weeks, I hold on to it and I talk about it, how someone cut me off or someone said this to me online or someone did whatever to me. I used to hold on to things so much and it would take my focus away from making an impact or building my business or helping other people. So so there's a couple of things here just to, just to unpack that a little bit. Mm -hmm. One is... Um, like you say, it might almost be impossible. Like we're always gonna, if we give up the athlete mask or the material mask, we're still gonna find the next metric by which to uh -huh. judge us. Define ourselves. I, yeah. I, I, I find that when I pull myself away from some way to judge myself, I almost instantly, without realizing it, find another way. <laughs> yeah, to judge maybe myself. for you it was like material. Then it was the know-it-all. Then it was now the Joker because you're like going into comedy every yeah. day or something. So it's like you're finding different metrics or whatever. I don't think it's bad. To, to step into these different masks. I don't think it's wrong. What I want men to be aware of is, is it fully working for you or are you suffering inside by wearing this mask? Is it helping you get results and bring inner peace and fulfillment in your life? Well, I think there's always suffering in that, I mean, let's say you fall into the, the material mask. Yes. Um, there's, like if you then lose money, or lose a job or whatever, you're gonna feel it viscerally. Yeah. You're gonna feel like you're pushed to the edge of the tribe now mm -hmm. and the lions will eat you first if they chase the tribe. Yep. So, and you're gonna feel that cortisol spike up unless you somehow- That's, why we, that's why we shouldn't define ourselves by these masks. And, and, but I think that's the hard part. It's so mm -hmm. baked in that, that we don't even realize it. Very like, challenging. When you, like, like, again, when you take yourself out of ma one mask, you might accidentally just put yourself into Absolutely. another one. Absolutely. And, and so it seems like the first step is awareness that these masks exist. All awareness. And then, and then the second step is also realizing, I think, that there's benefits 
to not wearing a mask. Like you say, mm -hmm. it could help in your communication with relationships. It might even help with your business because it'll help you deal with like losses faster. Uh, it might help with yes. your athletics and to say, instead of saying, okay, I want to beat up the people who just defeated my team, <laughs> I want to now learn from them instead. That's it, that's it. Like for example, when I, the athlete mask, I was always a sore loser and it was like an attack against my identity. It was like I wasn't a good person unless I won. And I felt like I wasn't worthy in the world if I wasn't winning. So I was angry, resentful, mad. Like I was like, don't talk to me after the game, you know, for days. It was like a whole thing my family had to deal with. As opposed to, why don't I still be the most competitive person I can be? Like win at everything still. Be so driven to be a great athlete. But do it from a place of, I want to show myself what I'm capable of. Or I want to inspire other people through my performances. And also, like you said, it's like, how can I learn from it? As opposed to be a sore loser, how can we be a great learner? Yeah, like what's an example of an athlete that you consider is like an alpha, like the top of the chain? Conor athlete. McGregor. Hmm? Conor McGregor, right? The okay. UFC fighter. I, I don't know. I don't know who he is. Right, right. Conor McGregor, who's like the UFC fighter. He's the guy who just fought Mayweather in the big, you know, they both got like a couple hundred million dollars in this mm -hmm. huge fight, whatever, a month or two ago. He talks so much trash. He's like known for being uh, the biggest trash talker out of anyone. And he's kind of like the Muhammad Ali of our time, right? And here's what I love about him. He he leads with a big mask, like this alpha aggressive mask that he leads with before the fight for months. It's like a whole press thing where he's constantly like talking trash about them, constantly saying how weak they are, how he's going to do whatever to them. But the one thing I really appreciate about him is during the the fight and afterwards, he is his authentic self. He removes the mask. He has humility. And at the end of the fight, it's like even if he's hated the person for months leading up to it, he always embraces him, hugs him, and like acknowledges the component. Even if he was like he's the weakest, sorriest person in the world, afterwards he was like, I acknowledge this person. He hugs him. Even he won or lost. And he's a great loser. He's like, you know what? This is what champions do. Sometimes mm -hmm. they lose, and I'm going to go back and learn as opposed to being like this sore loser. And that's pretty cool to me when you see a great athlete who's wants to learn from from losing as opposed to it's the worst day in the world to him. It, it's funny because when you take then, it seems like when you take that next step, let's call it post-mask step. Yeah. Like you described the boy who watches the bullies make, you know, get Slam the smaller the kid into the locker. Yeah. And then ultimately that boy becomes a bully because he puts on that mask to fit mm -hmm. in. But if you think about it, the post-mask version of that kid is the hero in every movie, ultimately, sure. is, the, is the karate kid who wants right. to, the little kid who ultimately defeats the bullies. Exactly. You know, and I think that's something to realize too, is that ultimately the hero of the story is picked on at first, and rather than just caving in and, and going, you know, Luke could have gone to the dark side, but ultimately mm -hmm. had to defeat the dark side to yeah. become the hero. You know, I think there's a great example of the material mask right now is our mutual friend Tim Sykes. Well, I'm pretty sure you're, you know yeah, Tim, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I, not only do, do I know him, I, I hired him when he uh, was just beginning. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, for the street, right? Isn't yeah, that it's right? like in 2006. Exactly. You know, here's a great example. I was just with Tim last week and he admitted to this. You know, for years he was driven to make as much money as possible and he lived with the material mask. It was all about the cars and the houses and. And still today he shows off all the money he's making. Right. And stuff he does like lifestyle that. marketing. That's he does marketing lifestyle marketing. Technique. But something has shifted in the last year and a half, two years, where he realized, like, you know, having a fifth Lamborghini does not make me happier. You know, having all this extra stuff does not make me happier. And so he started finding causes that he loved to give his money back to, and he's donated, I think, like a couple million dollars a year in the last two years, or whatever. You, you, and you and Tim both actually. We both have been do it. Really We've been on trips together and, yeah. and done and given back to build schools. And he now has like a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in his life, and he's so much calmer and relaxed. He's not stressed about needing to make more and earn more. And when he loses money, which he does, he writes about the lesson he learned from it and he shares that. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to win every day. I'm not going to make money every day. But I have a purpose for the money that I'm making now. It's not just to fulfill my desires of more cars and houses. It's to live a great lifestyle and also build these schools and other things with these charities and teach I want to educate and give back my knowledge, not just keep all the knowledge for myself so I become the richest person alive. And I think that's a cool thing. When we, I think a lot of guys in general want to become the king of diamonds. They want to make as much money and have material things. 
and they realize it's fleeting. And, and when they start to lean into becoming the king of hearts, they make way more money and they have much more meaningful lives. Uh, that's an interesting metaphor. What, what made you come up with that metaphor? Uh, someone told me this a few years ago and I was like, that's brilliant. He's like, so many people are trying to become the king of diamonds, but if you become the king of hearts, you'll be the, be the richest man in the world. Because I guess this relates to my other comment that I was going to make kind of overriding over the book is that men should still be men. Like I think, Absolutely. I think we live in a society where it got confused that, you know, I mean, men should still open, the, I think men should still open the door for a woman. Absolutely. And, you know, so, so, but what you're saying is, if you take out the mask of, the book's titled The Mask of Masculinity, but if you take out the mask of, you're left with masculinity. And it seems like that's the overriding point, which is that all these masks make us feel more masculine. Right. And maybe society even rewards these as masculinity. Absolutely. But the, but the real masculinity comes when you remove these masks. I think it's just revealing who you are. Mm-hmm. And for example, you know, I lived behind the material mask, the athlete mask, uh, I think everybody lives mask. behind all the masks a little Absolutely. bit. I've lived behind them all at some point, but you usually have a couple dominant ones. And um, again, I got great results. I was still like a fun-loving guy. I was still like happy and joyful, but I had certain triggers that when I was triggered, I didn't know how to emotionally communicate or express myself. And so I put the mask on stronger and it hurt me deeper inside and it hurt other people. So I don't think that's the best way of being a man is by hurting yourself or hurting other people by wearing the mask. I still think you should be the you know masculine or manly or the, the greatest sense of the man or the word that is for you, but continue to learn and grow and develop how can I take off the masks that aren't supporting my vision or maybe are hurting other people in the process. So I want to go through some of these masks and yeah. then I also want to, I, I want to ask you first, Why'd you write this book? Because it's funny. I told a couple of people, oh, I'm interviewing, I'm, I'm reading this book. Because last week I was reading this book. And I, said, <laughs> I'm, I told a few people, I'm interviewing Lewis Howes uh, uh, next week because he wrote this book, The Mask of Masculinity. And I'll tell you, 100% of the time, this is the response I got. Oh, Lewis Howes is pretty masculine, right? <laughs> it's 100% of the time. I'm like, all right, all right, already. Lewis Howes is pretty masculine. That's funny. But I'm in the book too. <laughs> yeah, you so, are. Um, but why did you decide to write uh, this book? For a couple of reasons. One, there's so much happening in the media. Just this year alone, when you see Charlottesville, when you see the Vegas shooting, when you see the domestic abuse and violence that happens in sports teams all the time. But this is not just this year. This is like all All history. the time, all yeah. the time. When you see the political stuff happening. To, uh, like you point out, men kill themselves at a six to one ratio. Over exactly, women. exactly. When you see the sexual harassment and abuse that came out with uh, Weinstein, uh, Weinstein last couple of weeks, all these things are stemming from angry men that don't know how to express themselves. They do these things because they're wearing a mask and they don't know how to fully reveal themselves and just be vulnerable in certain times. And it works. It gets them results. They have power. They make money. They, whatever, can kill people because they have guns, and that's how they express themselves. It gets them the results they're looking for. But at what price did they have to pay and does everyone else have to pay around them? So like what's, what, what, you know. So what, I wrote this for, for myself because four years ago, I talked about this on the last time, I opened up about, all the stuff from my past that I've always been afraid of other people knowing. I was sexually abused when I was five. My brother was in prison when I was eight. My parents were fighting my entire childhood. And I never knew how to emotionally express or communicate that. I never knew how to cope. I never knew how to go through life sharing these things. But okay, so let me ask you about that. How do you even become aware that you're not? Yeah. Because if something happens to you at the age of five, you're going to bury it under layers and under many yeah, masks. I did. Like, how do you even become aware that, oh, this is something I haven't dealt with uh, other than with Band-Aids? I think for me, it took 25 years when I went through a really bad toxic breakup in a relationship. I got in this fight in the basketball court and I was just fighting more in general. I was just constantly aggressive. And um, I went through kind of a bad break in, a, in my business partnership and even though I had achieved all these things at the highest level and things looked good, inside I was suffering. And I just turned 30 and kind of all these things happened at once. And you're right, I think it takes like some type of catalyst. I think it takes like a near-death experience. I think it takes like an illness. I think it takes someone dying close to you, uh, a, a, a divorce, a big breakup, uh, losing a job. It takes something for you to be like, oh, 
Let me look around my surroundings and see what's not working. Well, it's funny you say that because if you look at all these masks, all of these masks actually will kill you. Yeah. So for instance, the stoic mask, again, I'll take the example of someone who has some pain, doesn't want to go to the doctor because he's stoic. And then it's a heart attack six months happen. too late, yeah, he realizes he has cancer or heart yeah. disease or whatever and, and dies. Or or the sexual mass, someone who's just racking up numbers of women. And that gets an know, STD. And- yeah, that could kill you. Uh, the invincible mask, obviously... Could, could kill you. The uh, if you're jumping off planes every day because you think you're not going to get injured and then it doesn't open up and right. you're dead. I feel like only male skydivers die. <laughs> like I've never heard of a female skydiver. I'm sure it's yeah. happened, but I've yeah. never heard of a female skydiver dying. Whereas you see the news all the time. Oh, this guy had a skydiving accident and is paralyzed now or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Joker mask we talk about, I'm not sure if you checked out this section, but I've Robin the whole Williams. Book. What do you mean check out right, this right. section? Robin Williams is a great example. You know, uh, one of the greatest comedians of all time, right? right? Who who took his own life. And I can only imagine that, again, every probably interaction he had, people were expecting him to make them laugh, to like perform, yeah. to give a joke, to like constantly make them laugh. And I can only imagine like who he really was was probably the character in Goodwill Hunting, which yeah. was the greatest performance he gave out of all of his performances, in my opinion. The moments when he was tender, when he was loving, when he was compassionate, considerate, thoughtful, I can only imagine that's how he wanted to be a lot in his life, but he's probably never able to because people wanted to accept him for being the funny guy. And so when he would open up, I bet they were like, where's the funny guy? You know, where's the guy that that makes us laugh? And so he just wanted to fit in. I mean, it's interesting, like using him as an example, but using, so I mean, a lot of comedians come from horrible backgrounds that are currently depressed. and, And often one theory of comedy is a way of, Taking pain uh-huh. and and have and converting it through comedy into a, a safe way to make art, but the comedian themselves who does this process is often in great pain. Mm-hmm. And you know, with Robin Williams, uh, was so talented, but to but to be on all the time, like you say, you know, he had to dabble in drugs. He had to, um, he had to not just somehow, dabble. Right? He, was, he was a serious addict for a long time. I remember being on a plane with him one time and. It was a virgin flight from, I believe, L.A. back to New York, or it might have been New York to L.A. And he was sitting right there in the front row, and I was like, oh, shoot, that's Robin Williams. I was like, wow. And there was a woman sitting next to him that he didn't know. I could tell it was just like another passenger. And already he was like doing like a whole performance for her and like telling stories and stuff like that. And I'm like, this guy probably never can shut off because everyone wants to ask him a question or say something about Mrs. Doubtfire or the genie or whatever it is. You know, it's like... When does he get to just drop his mask and be vulnerable and just be himself? You know, whether that's vulnerable or just like chill, you know, it doesn't have to be like constantly crying or vulnerable and open, but how can you just fully be who you want to be at all times and feel accepted for that? That's the challenge. Most of us don't feel like we'll be accepted or people will still like us or love us if we're not producing one of these masks, if we're not fitting in in the way that they want us to fit in. And that starts from early childhood. You know, when I was picked last on a sports game, I was like, okay, in order to fit in with this class, I need to be a better athlete. I need to fit in. You need to be picked first. I need to be picked first. You know, if a kid is bullied, he's like, okay, I need to get bigger. I need to become, you know, a bully so that I fit in with these other bullies and that I don't get picked on. Whatever it is, you know, when I was um, constantly felt stupid in school, I was like, okay, I need to learn something. I need to become more desirable sexually so women will still like me, even though I can't even stand in front of the class and read aloud what's in the pages of a book because I just wasn't able to see it and read it out loud. You know, it's like, again, if, if you're undesirable and you can't get a girl, you might put the Joker mask on and say, well, at least I'm going to get everyone to like me and laugh with me. Or, 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 or like when, when, um, when Jim Norton came on my podcast and he's a great comedian, he said that uh, for him, you know, he was this, we grew up together and he was kind of a, a small kid. He said for him, comedy was a way to fight the bullies because a bully did not want to be made fun of. Ooh, and so he yeah. developed his sense of humor, which is now one of the best in the world. Yeah. He developed a sense of humor as a way to fight the bullies. Right, exactly. So again, we do all these things to feel like we're fitting in, to feel like we're more accepted, to feel like we're not going to get picked on, we're not going to get bullied, we're you know, and we're going to get results. And it De- works des- for us. Describe the alpha mask, because I think that's the only one that's not like immediately self Yeah, I mean, the alpha is kind of like, 
you know, in a sense, the aggressive and the alpha can kind of go hand in hand, but the alpha is really the the guy who can never, he's always got to win and be right in every instance. He's the guy who's in a bar. If there's a fight, he's got to jump in and like act like he can take the whole world on. He's the one who uh, just always is puffing up the chest, always is peacocking uh, and can never drop his guard in that sense. He's got to be like the silverback gorilla who's unable to just have graceful energy, but the one who's always got to scream and shout and act like he's the biggest, baddest wolf. That's the one that's usually the most scared. So, so I mean, you've described some instances of vulnerability where you kind of covered it up with these masks that you, that you talk about. Where have you seen yourself on the bad side of this? Like I'll say one side's the vulnerable side, one side's the bad side, just to simplify. Yeah. Before you wrote this book, and maybe maybe something that triggered writing this book, where do you feel you might have been on the abusive side of these masks? I think the aggressive mask, definitely, because again, I, I looked like I was always like a loving, happy guy. But if someone said something the wrong way to me, it's like a trigger that I couldn't control. That I just wanted to beat them up. I wanted to fight. I wanted to defend myself. It was online. I just wanted to like, you know, text back and like constantly defend myself. If it was in person, I had to like literally puff my chest up and get aggressive and kind of like, you know, put my authority over the person to try to get them to back down, to show them that I was worthy or big enough or strong enough and I wasn't going to get stepped to. So the aggressive mask was one. The sexual mask, you know, there's times where I've been single where I've just, uh, I've said, you know what, I don't want to be in a relationship. I just want to like have as much fun as possible. Uh, you know, I get scared of like true intimacy of like being with one person. So that's a fear that's always well, been a constant. How would you handle rejection then? Let's say you were at, in a, at a party. When I was and- younger, it was really bad when I was like in high school because I wasn't getting like all these girls. I wasn't like, you know, I never got the attention. So now it's challenging for me because I do get a lot more attention with women and it's like, oh, it's, these options look amazing. This looks great. I never got that early on. Uh, so I was really scared to lose it. So when I was with a girl or was dating a girl, if she was no longer interested, it ruined me for months. It wrecked me emotionally because I was like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Um, and so I started doing things to overcome all my fears. You know, I, I can't remember if I told you this last time, but when I was in high school, uh, summer one year, I was just so terrified of girls. That I said, I no longer want to feel this. So from junior year going to senior year. You turned gay. I turned gay, exactly, <laughs> yes. I, um, I said to myself, I gave myself a challenge. I said, every time I see a girl I like, I'm going to go up to her and say hi. Anytime I get that like feeling of butterflies, I'm going to go up and talk to her. It was terrifying. I did this all summer long. And then eventually it got easier though. Like I started to go up to girls. What was like the worst rejection you got during that time? I can't remember, but just like them not even replying to me was like yeah. a big rejection, you know? If they just didn't even respond or acknowledge me, I was like, oh, I suck as a human, you know? But the more and more I just started to learn like, okay, what's something I could say? How can I, sh- you know, shift my energy? How can I just make it fun and playful? And girls started to respond and I started getting phone numbers and I started going on dates and I was like, wow. This isn't that scary after all. If they reject me, it's not the end of the world. And that was a powerful lesson for me just to like constantly try to become a better person of like overcoming the fears. And I did that with everything in public speaking when I was afraid of like speaking in class all the time because I couldn't read aloud. So I went to Toastmasters for a year every single week. I pretty much did what you did for public speaking. Every single week I was dedicated to mastering this craft and just overcoming my fear. And it made me a more confident human being in general. And allowed me to kind of overcome some of these masks, but also pick up new masks because I used these other things to get what I wanted, to act like I was smarter or better than. So it's like a constant battle of like being aware of how am I showing up? Is this mask working at all levels? And really what it comes down to, when I think of what it means to be a man and masculine, I think of it to, to live in service. The man who finds a way to live in service to himself his dreams, his needs, and everyone else around him. And so so, so let, let's unpack that in the yeah. sense that, you know, let's say, you know, I'll say a couple of masks here that have probably mm-hmm. ruined good decades of my life, which <laughs> is uh, the material mask um, where I felt like if I didn't have money, 
nobody would nobody else would value me so i wouldn't value me and when you lost all your money you were like in deep dark depression yeah it was horrible it was the worst and look some there's some reason to be in depression when you lose all your money because you know if you have a family to raise you're gonna be depressed but it was even worse than that for me because i really thought when i had a lot of money i really attributed my self-worth to my net worth and i saw people treated me better and so i figured they only treated me better because i was the kind of guy who could make a lot of money rather than because I had a lot of money. And so I just attributed all of my self-worth to but my you don't net worth. Want, yeah, but we don't want to live that way when people become our friends because we have money. Well, that's why I would I would justify it. I would say it was not because I had money, but it was because I was the kind of person. I was a genius for having a lot of money. So I was the kind of person who could get a lot of money. Uh, so I would switch from the material mask to the know-it-all mask. Yep, yep. And then when I <laughs> lost money, I lost both masks. Really? Because so, you're like, oh, I don't know it anymore. Yeah, maybe now, I'm not now smart I'm an anymore. idiot and I don't have money. <laughs> right. And so, because I it, had them the same. Exactly. And it probably didn't feel good. I felt like you're I probably wanted to kill to myself. Exactly. I, that's why six to one men over. <laughs> but by the way, all of the, like like we said earlier, all of these masks will kill you. Yep. So that, that, that was certainly one of them. And, you know, and also a little bit of having money is you think you're invincible. You think if you, you make do. money in one area, you can make money in any area. And I learned very quickly that that was not true at all. You made a big investment somewhere and you're like, oh, that didn't make me anything. I lost it all. Yeah. And and I thought like, how could I how could I lose? I'm, I thought I was a know-it-all. I thought I was a, a material. Like I knew everything about money. I, how, yeah. could I, how could I do this? So then I would suddenly three masks would, would destroy me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was hard. I really felt really bad. I mean, then I got divorced so i didn't i you know every, all my masks were coming off at the same time yeah i never had the athlete mask right so all <laughs> you have the uh, the chess athlete yeah mask. that's the thing so so at one point i figured okay i'm not going to be an athlete but i'll be the best chess player out there so i was in in new jersey i was the highest ranking young player and uh the new the high school champion of the, of the state and if i would ever even lose a game uh, I couldn't go to school the next day. See, so, so you did have the athlete mask. Yeah, that, I guess that's the athlete. You did have it. Well, chess is not quite a sport, but yeah, it's all right. You had the same mindset as an athlete. Yeah, you had to win at all costs, and you were a sore loser. Yeah, definitely a sore. And loser. that hurts your relationships in your life. Yeah, I mean, I was one time I lost a game. I literally just threw my hands across the table, <laughs> threw all the pieces to the floor, and just walked out of the tournament. <laughs> so, and and everybody was laughing also. Yeah, so it was that's, horrible. That's a mask, you know. When we when we do that, it shows us that we're not able to emotionally express ourselves in a healthier way. But then what happens is, is you think you get over a mask, and it feels like oh great, like now if I play a game of chess, I don't really care if I win or lose. Yeah, I want to play the best game yes. I could possibly play. And then I think to myself. Did I get over that sort of mask or have I just switched it to something else? Right. So now, for instance, if I if I am doing stand-up comedy, I go up on stage and nobody laughs, which is whether you do it one year or 20 years, it's always going to happen, I feel really, really horrible. Right. Whereas I might not have always felt that horrible about you know not making people... I've always been funny, but I not now I'm doing it kind of in this you know skill-minded way. I really yeah. want to... Be number one. So here's the thing: if we can, if we can take that, as opposed to getting feeling horrible inside, as opposed to like saying that mask is on our face and it's a part of us. If no one laughs at my jokes, instead of saying, "Oh, they don't think I'm good enough," you can. What you could do is take that mask to the side and say, "They don't think that mask is good enough right now." So it's not actually you; it's like something separate that's on the side. And it's something more objective over here that you can be like, okay, it's just a thing. What can I learn from this thing? How did I not show up in a way that made it work today? And how can I apply it differently tomorrow? It's not who I am. It's what the mask is right now. And if we can do that, then the mask is infused to us and it doesn't become a part of us. When someone makes, makes fun of us or we don't get results or they don't laugh at our jokes, whatever it is, or the girl says no to us, we don't have to take this personal attack on us. It's an attack on our mask, which is essentially our ego. And when we can separate that, we can still say, well, I still am healthy. I still have great friends. I still have this relationship or this going for me. And I'm compassionate, giving, loving person. I think it's hard though. So hard. It's an interruption, right? It's so hard. It's an interruption to a thought pattern that you get addicted to. It's extremely hard. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
let's say I'll I'll just compare these masks to levels of being uh, an addict, mm. right? So if you have the material mask, you're addicted to that high you get when you make more money or if buy you, something, yeah, whatever. Yeah, or if you have the athlete mask, you're addicted to winning the game. And if you don't win the game, it's as if you're getting you're not getting the drug you need. Yeah, um, it's a horrible feeling. So it's an addiction, and I think it's very hard. You know, people are lifetime addicts. They can't, you know, once very an addict, hard. always an addict. You yeah. can't get over addictions, really. It's very hard. That's why I think it's a constant process of being aware. So every morning I focus on how do I want to show up today? And I think about all the instances that could go wrong. Someone could cut me off. Someone could say something nasty to me. I could get a nasty email. My girlfriend could say something to me, whatever. I think about the things that could go wrong and I say to myself, okay, how do I want to react and respond? As opposed to reacting from automatic pilot of anger and frustration, how can I respond from a place of realizing it's not about me, it's about the situation or about them and staying committed and focused on my vision for the day? So as an example, this book, as we're talking, this book is going to come out in a week. Um, by the time this podcast is out, this book will be out. What if this book just doesn't do well and you get like, the worst reviews, and you know you work so hard on it. You know, the more you work on something, the more. Here's the thing: it's funny. I've come to peace with it because I've thought about this. You know, I'm listen. I would love to hit number one New York Times bestseller, but I'm also like, if I didn't get on the list at all, how would I feel? And I'm so focused. Like my ego would be hurt, and I'd be sad, and I'd be frustrated because I'd be like, man, I work so hard, and people don't recognize this or whatever. Yeah, because anything you work hard at, you Absolutely. don't want to be trashed at. But I believe, like I've become so at peace with it already either way, whatever happens, because you know I'm focused on more the vision and the process and the message than the result. Because I'm not defining the results anymore based on my self-worth. Like, if I don't hit the New York Times list, it's okay. Like I've already hit it once. Like It's not the end of the world. And I'm so focused on giving the message to people to help them heal or help them overcome things that they've been held back with for so long that it's more important to me to get the message out than to get the result. So to some extent you can say, you know, and and this is I'm just restating what you just said, but mm -hmm. to some extent um you could say, look, I did the best I could do in the process. That's it. Like I wrote a good book, it's a great book, uh and I but I can't control the outcome. Yep. But I can you're also diversifying the po possible outcome. So one outcome is uh a billion people like it, and it hits the New York Times number one on the New York Times bestseller list, and that's great. But another outcome is, but if no one reads it at the same time, it's like, well, then it doesn't help anyone. So it's right. like, if I get all these sales, but people don't read the first three pages, and it's like, well, what's the point? But but you did well in the process, yeah. and so that helps you determine that you, you gave yourself the greatest great. chance for somebody to read it. I feel great about the process. I know I gave my all with the process of the book. I know I'm giving my all right now in terms of launching it. So and, like, and you know you have other outcomes, which is that look, you're going to have comp you throw your your businesses, you exactly. throw conferences, you you empower people, you have an email list, yeah. you have people who follow you, so you know you did the best service for them, the people who already have signed up for you, and maybe more people will sign up for you as as a result. Exactly. And and so it's almost like you can diversify outcomes, exactly. and that's a good way to sort of um, where this particular success book mask you know <laughs> exactly. and, and, and is by diversifying the outcomes of, of yeah. how you define success for this i've put my whole life into one book mm -hmm. where if like as an athlete my whole life was around you know being a college player making pros and if i didn't make it then my life was over this isn't my whole life one project and i think i think diversification is really important it helps yeah i've got other things i'm working on that are amazing and fun and fulfilling so it's like Okay, what's the lesson? If it doesn't hit the list or it doesn't do this, like what's the lesson? Just like Conor McGregor, if he loses a big fight, what's the lesson? And I gave it my all, and this is what champions do. Sometimes they fall, and it's time to get back up. And then I think that's how I'll approach it. I think I think what's the lesson is a very important almost mantra. Like uh, if something is not going the way you think, let's say an argument is not going the way you think. I think even asking what's the lesson here, like what am I that's not it. hearing? You know, you you talk about. Um, I forget which story you tell. And by the mm -hmm. way, the, the book's very well written in the sense that you interweave your own story with these stories of very interesting people. One of them says, um, you know, we're given two ears and a mouth, and that's yes. the proportion by which we should should listen. Um, Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who, who's got a very successful podcast, very yes. successful show, uh, Dirty Jobs. So it seems like 
like you were talking about, you know, arguments before and how you had to win those. Always. You know, maybe one way is to always take a step back and say, what am I, what am I not hearing here? What am I not listening to exactly. during an argument? And this is, again, a couple like simple takeaways would be in the beginning of your day, think about how you want to show up and think about how do you want to respond in situations that don't go your way versus reacting in a negative way. And just try to prepare yourself. You're not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Even last week, I got super pissed. I wanted to like scream and yell at the airport because I missed my flight. And I wanted to scream at the customer support person. Why'd you miss your flight? It's a whole other story. I didn't want to go into that right now. I was actually there on time and I forgot my ID. So I had to go through a Ugh. whole process of like getting on the phone with like TSA and all this other stuff. And they had to like pretty much strip me down naked. And it was like a whole thing. And the uh, TSA person was like, don't worry, you're going to make it. The gate's right there. I was like, listen, the doors are closing in two minutes on my phone, it says, so I got to go now. And they're like, oh, we have to check everything in your bag and swab it all and like everything. And I was like, I'm not going to make this. And then they were like, you're fine. Trust me, you'll make it. I'm thinking to myself, man, I've never missed a flight and I don't think I'm going to make this one. Could they have held the plane? No. I asked them, I go, can you call? Can you do this? They're like, it's going to be fine. The gate's right there. Like, you'll be good. You got time. I go, all right. And so I'm sprinting with my bag and like shoes in my hand when I'm done and the gate just closed like right before I got there. The plane is sitting there. I had to be there for this thing, this speech I was giving. And I'm talking to the customer support. I'm like, is there any way you can open this door? They're like, no, there's no way. I'm like, the plane is still there. And for like the next 25 minutes, it's still there. And I'm like, I want to scream at her. I wanted to like kick a trash can over, punch a wall, and go into my automatic response of aggressiveness. This was a couple weeks ago. And I just like am fuming. And I don't say anything to her because I'm like, I don't want to make a scene right now. And I go, how fitting is this that I'm writing about masculine vulnerability and I'm about to like make a big scene and like just rage and be angry. And, and I was almost like, like writing this book gives you an excuse to not do that. It's <laughs> it's holding me accountable. Uh -huh. And listen, I'm still going to make mistakes. Like I still wasn't perfect in that conversation with her. I was kind of like passive aggressive and I was like, is there any, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't perfect. I wasn't graceful, but I didn't punch a wall. I didn't kick a trash can, which I was literally looking at, thinking of kicking this trash can and making a huge scene of being an angry customer. When really it's my responsibility, I shouldn't have forgot my ID. Define graceful. I think someone who can have a calm conversation as opposed to someone who just reacts from anger. Mm. So graceful is someone who can be like, oh man, this really sucks, but what can we do about this? You know, Is there anything, any other options where I can get on the next flight? Is there anything I can do? You know, is there anything you can do for me? You know, I'm in a tough spot. As opposed to, what the fuck? You know, like screaming, which is yeah. what I wanted to do. So again, it was like, wow, how fitting is this? And I'm going to continue to make mistakes. I'm going to continue to wear these masks for the rest of my life. My goal is to have them on less and less and to be mindful of them when I do want to react in situations and... You know, a girl wants to, if I'm, you know, in a relationship and a girl wants to sleep with me, I'm not just like drawn to it right away. I'm like, okay, I appreciate the offer, but I'm going to come in a relationship. I'm not just going to keep living with the sexual mask. You know, something in my business, there are a lot of opportunities that have come to me like with you right now that are amazing money-making opportunities, but they take me away from my vision and my purpose. And I'm like, like what? what's an example? Uh, just like working on different products or courses or speaking at different events that I just don't care about, that'll take me like a week away from something where it's like, oh, it's a good money-making opportunity, but is it really going to fill me up emotionally, spiritually? Is it going to make me feel like I'm making an impact? By the or way, am I just I, doing it for the money? I think that's super important. I think when you could say no to money because of a, a bigger vision and purpose, that's really powerful. Yeah, and if I just kept doing things to make money, I'd be like, well, "Why am I doing all this for?" Mm -hmm. You know, it wouldn't be as fulfilling. And I lived that way for a number of years, where I was just like, "I got to do more of these trainings. I got to do more of this. I got to go to every event and make more money." And I would do it in the middle of the night. I wouldn't sleep, and I realized like, it's not helping the rest of my health and my relationships if I focus on these things that aren't meaningful. If I don't give myself a a cutoff time of when to stop working, whatever it may be. Um, you have to you have to rebuild your energy. We only live one life. Man. Yeah, if like you, sleep. You know, you know, people people work so hard and they get so stressed and then they just die. And then they have cancer and they have yeah. heart attacks and they have and they a hundred pounds overweight. It, it's clearly linked to all these things. Like heart attacks are clearly linked to 
where your mind is at. Exactly. No one, yeah. no one ever says, "Oh, I had a heart attack because my art, my left ventricle was clogged." No. They say they got a heart attack because my job was stressful, or I was in this middle. My of relationship argument. was horrible, yeah. and I couldn't get out, and I did not express myself, and I was constantly overwhelmed. Attacked. Yes. And this is why you look better than ever. You know, since I've known you, you're like Thank the, you. the healthiest. Your skin is the clearest. You have the most energy. Yeah, you're about to be 50 years old. I'm gonna be 50 I years know. old in. in Ah, what day is today? I'm going to be 50 years old three months from today. Wow. So, But it feels like you've been very aware over the last few years, your journey. You've been so self-aware of the things that you've been you've been doing that have worked and haven't worked. And you've been more mindful about stuff. You know, you got rid of all your material possessions and said, I'm yeah. going to live with like 12 things on my body for the rest of however long yeah. until you want to get more things. And you've eliminated these things, these masks that didn't serve you. And it's almost like this freedom that started showing up in your life, this sense of weight off your shoulders because you used to have this like look about you with the world on your shoulders. Now you're just so light looking. Well, let me ask you this because obviously since I'm on pages 183 through 186. Is that what you are? Is all yes. James Altucher. <laughs> so why did you decide to include me in your in your book? Well, His name is James Altucher. I know someone who's been in the thick of it and he's messed up a lot. <laughs> well, as I was writing it, I was trying to think of examples of men in my life that could kind of fit in with one of these masks, who is a good representation of these masks. And, uh, you know, for example, the sexual mask was like Tucker Max and Neil Strauss. And By the uh, way, this entire book is like a list of my, like friends. biographies of all my friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even in the paragraph where you mentioned, paragraph right above you mentioned me, I'm, I love Cheryl Strait. So yeah, yeah, exactly. She's, and, she's great. You know, on the material mask, uh, I, I talk about Ty Lopez, right? I'm talking about- I've been to his house as well. Exactly, so, yeah. And again, it's not trying to make men wrong. I'm not trying to make any man wrong in this book because in every chapter you see me talking about how I've lived with the mask yeah. as well and like my worst cases. But it's just kind of examples of like, okay, here are men who have led with these masks and they got amazing results. Like it works. But, but here's but, how they struggle at the same time. But I have, I have, um, I, I want, I still. This is actually not from an ego point of view. I do want to hear why you in included me specifically in the know-it-all mask because mm -hmm. then I have a question about it. Sure. I think for me, you're just like a, a brilliant guy who always knew how to build up businesses. You had the answers. You were smart in chess. You read a ton of books. You just had a lot of information. And people always looked at you as very smart. Um, that's one of the examples, yeah. I didn't think you were like ever put people down for like knowing right. it all. That wasn't part of the example, but it was... You were an example that I knew personally that I was like, this is a guy that has a lot of the answers, is brilliant, is looked at as very smart. And then and then what you you point out, you know, my failures, because I failed at all these things, and then I was open about them. Yes. And that's how this removal of the mask. Yeah. But then I would say, um, and 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 of course, by removing that mask, a lot of people who related to that. Uh, I, you know, were drawn to my writing and mm -hmm. I got- uh, Your vulnerabilities made you so relatable and people started to trust you more. So when you open up and say, well, actually, I don't know at all, which is what you do every week on Facebook, which is why you're one of the best writers in my mind on Facebook. It's like, man, people like you more. They trust you more. They want to buy from you more. They want to be around you because they're like, here's a person who has great results, but he's still sharing the lessons he learned from the things he didn't know. Right, and, and that is a powerful example. I think though that became also an addiction for me. So yes, sharing I my vulnerability, constantly being vulnerable. Yeah, I kind of almost put on this self-deprecating mask. True. Where, so if I didn't write like another self-deprecating story about myself every day, I felt like I would disappear. Like people would stop valuing my writing. And That's so an I went from one too. addiction to another addiction. And I think there's a balance. I think it's a balance. I, I think I'm better at that one now, yeah. but then I might fall into other addictions. Like it's very hard. Because listen, when I opened up four years ago about being sexually abused and, and did this podcast and this post, like I got hundreds and hundreds of emails. It was the most downloaded episode I'd done. And it was like, wow, when I open up for the first time about something that I'm scared of, people like acknowledge you and they like tell you how courageous and brave you are right. and they email you on all this stuff happens. And um, you know you want to keep doing that. You want to keep getting that acceptance, right. that fitting in feeling. And I think it's a balance. It's like every day we can't just like cry about like how we're scared or vulnerable or whatever is happening with us, because then it's not real either. It right. Doesn't feel real. So how did you overcome that? 
at that point when you saw like, oh my gosh, I just did something I didn't yeah. do. It got rewarded enormously. I think I was so scared still to talk about it. Like for me, it wasn't still comfortable to talk yeah. about it on a consistent basis that every anniversary of that podcast, I would kind of repost it on Facebook when I saw that like that came out on Facebook or whatever. And lately I've been talking about it more because the book's been coming out and um you know, it's crazy because it's like that's the post that gets the most likes or the most comments and the most engagement when you start to open up about things that people usually don't open up about. And so it's like, you know, part of me wants to keep doing it more because it's going to keep getting engagement and followers, but I'm also, I get to balance it. You know, I get to just keep being consistent with the positivity I put out, the content that is inspiring to me and part of my vision and not just come from a place of, well, here are all my vulnerabilities every day. Because I well, think it's not powerful either. I, I I agree with you. And I think um, I think that's really important to kind of, again, interweave the two, which you do a lot in this book. I mean, this is a great book. I will summarize this book in a second, but I also want to um, talk about all the other things you're doing. Yes. Um, well, for one thing, maybe that you didn't suspect this was on my list, but how the hell did you get on Ellen? Twice. <laughs> Twice with a replay. So three times I was actually on, but... Um, you know, I've got a great relationship with Scooter Braun, and uh, we've been working on some things behind the scenes that we haven't announced yet. That hopefully we'll be able to in the next month. Like what? No one's listening. You could. You yeah, know. yeah. We're working on a, a show together, um, but I can't say where and what it is yet. But um, we've just been friends for years through like Pence the Promise and Adam Braun. Yeah. And when I moved to LA, we played basketball together, and I've had him on my show a couple times. And the last time I had him on my show, uh, he was just like you know, you've got a gift, you've got like, you know, a way of interviewing and there's not many guys who kind of look like you, your age group, who are open to talking like that and, and asking those types of questions. And he, uh, he said, you know, we should get you, we should get you your own show, we should do something together and he, you know, connected me to Ellen's team right away and was like, we should do something with Ellen and so just kind of through that process of working on a show together, he was like, well, let's get you on her show and start kind of like building you up. So he made oh, the call great. and yeah. And did you have fun? It was probably the most terrifying thing I've done in years. Really? I was so nervous, which I usually am not that nervous anymore for like interviews or speeches. But I think I just built her up so much in my mind She's over the great. years. And just the allure of being on Ellen, it's like the biggest talk show in the world. And I was just, it was like the morning of, I couldn't, I couldn't, there was nothing like meditation, working out, nothing worked. I was just like constantly nervous. And, um, but it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I will say, well, well, the other thing I'll say before we summarize the book, uh, your next big conference, yes. you said I'm going to speak at. I'm yes. looking forward to that. Summit of Greatness 2018. Summit of, what, what, what month is it? What day is it? It's October 3rd through the 6th, summitofgreatness.com. Who else is speaking? It's a good question. It's a year away, but I, it's a I year forced away. myself you into did. the lineup. It's a year away. Uh, I haven't I haven't f confirmed them all yet, but we've got some big, big names. All yes. right. All right. I look forward to that. Yes. But and it's, it's the year of choosing yourself, 2018. Excellent. I'm, I, I'm still choosing myself, so that'll be good. Uh, so Lewis Howes, The Mask of Masculinity. Uh, oh, there's a subtitle. I always forget subtitles. How Men Can Embrace Vulnerability, Create Strong Relationships, and Live Their Fullest Lives. I think this is a great book. This, this Thank you. you tell your story throughout each chapter. You tell the stories of others. There's a, a lot of great stories of people I know personally, so it was interesting, but also a lot of people I didn't know. Um, and I think it makes uh, enormous sense. Like with each chapter, I kept thinking to myself, oh yeah, this is when I wore this mask. Mm -hmm. This is how I've either gotten through it or how I haven't gotten through it yet. Yeah. So there's a, you never leave these masks completely behind. Like I'll always have the material mask, the know-it-all mask and, and various other masks that, that, that pull at me. But I think like you say, you become awareness is key. And That's a it. book like this certainly helps with awareness. So- I highly recommend it. I hope people buy this. And look, keep uh, keep coming on the podcast. Thanks, Thanks once again, Lewis. Appreciate it, James. Next time on the James Altucher Show. I think that I felt that there could be performance in every man, that every man could perform his life or his situation or his trauma or his successes or his failure. We're troubled people in a troubled universe. We have to find our way. And how you find your way through the tragedy. It's all tragedy, wouldn't you say? It's more tragedy than comedy. Of course, yes. You knew what would be 
both important and entertaining to the viewer. And I think that's why you have 26 Academy Awards. The autopsy shows were great. It's really hard to have a vision that nobody ever had before that then becomes successful. But that's the only fun for me. To me, autopsy was the darkest because to see that your your body was chopped meat. I realized we were made of chopped meat. I realized that what was human was um, consciousness only, that the rest of us was just matter. That changed my life. That autopsy changed my life, yeah. It changed my life. I just saw the human body for what it was. It was this miracle of plumbing. It was incredible. It had pipes and it had organs and it was like, I mean, I hate to say this, it was a little bit like my toilet or my stove. It was just incredible. So the only thing left was ideas. The only thing that could possibly lift you from material things was imagination. Well, let's find out. Why aren't you running HBO? I'll tell you why I'm not running it. Can you say vagina here? Yes. That's why. It's almost like these things came out of nowhere. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. A few years ago, they were pennies, and now Bitcoin is over $4,000 a coin. I call these currencies choose-yourself currencies because they don't depend on any institution, any government, any bank to function. And they're just simply exploding in price right now. It's unbelievable. Some have jumped as high as 3,000%, 21,000%, and even a rare 81,000%. Again, it reminds me of things like the dot-com boom in the 90s. Stocks were going up. 20, 30% a day. Everyone said it was a rational exuberance, but they kept going for another five years and some of them are still going. So if you're missing out on this boom, don't worry, you're not alone. We're just an inning. I don't know if we're an inning zero anymore, but we're an inning one. Most people are not investing in cryptos simply because they don't even know how to get started. So I decided I want to do something about that. I want to inform everyone listening how to get started. I'm offering a free six-video series masterclass on cryptocurrencies, where I'll walk you step-by-step through the entire process. If you're interested in claiming this free masterclass, please go to altature.io, that's altature.io slash masterclass, where I'll give you all of the details.